Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. Good morning again. Uh, I don't know if I've told you my name yet. If you're new here, my name's Bobby. I'm the preaching minister here at Movement Church, and we are glad that you are here. Um, Jesus is good, and we are here to celebrate him, not just uh, one time a year, but every day, and I'm glad that you chose to do that with us today, uh, whether you've been here many times before or this is your first time. Um, we are talking about a sermon series called The Gift, and when we are talking about a passage of Scripture, especially one from like the Old Testament, um, it's always good for us to understand what it meant to the original hearers uh, so we can better understand what it means for us as well. Um, But I want to ask you a question first before we really jump in. How many of you like to wait? Nobody? Nobody likes to wait? You don't just go like hang out at the DMV and be like, man, I just like waiting. Nobody does that. How many of you like like to sit through a whole light cycle at a traffic light? Yeah. (laughs) Ooh, wow. Thought I had road rage. All right. <laughs> now, I understand. I understand. I, I, I shared a few weeks ago about the intersection or the, the on-ramp coming off of 87 right here on the Hodge Road and how everybody lines up in the right lane. And I, I won't start on that because I don't want you to like think really bad about me, but that frustrates me that people don't understand the whole zipper merge thing. It just blows my mind. They treat you like you are a living piece of scum, and they're like, you're doing it wrong. Anyway, but I don't like to wait. I don't like to wait. I don't know anybody that likes to wait. And I'll especially know most of us. I don't know if you've gotten to this maturity point yet where you don't really think about waiting at Christmas. But how many of you remember when you were a kid or still and you could not wait for Christmas morning? Anybody relate to that? Right? A few of you are like, no, I'm so mature. <laughs> right. Now, I remember what it was like when I was a kid laying in bed on Christmas Eve night. I mean, I did not want to go to sleep. I tried to avoid it with everything that I could. And then I laid there in bed like this, just wide-eyed, could, you know, every little thing. Is that Santa? You know, I was like, I didn't know what it was. And then once, uh, well, I better not say that. Um, Later on in life, I was like, is somebody putting out the presents, you know, and I was like thinking all that stuff and I was always anxious and, you know, I had to go to the bathroom about 12 different times so I could come out of my room, you know, that sort of thing. And I did not like waiting and it's such an anticipation thing. And the sad thing is, and we talked about this a little bit last week about some types of gifts and things about how we are as as adults and as kids, we just sort of forget about how much we wanted that gift. The same thing can be said about Christmas morning sometimes. Sometimes we wait, 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 and then when it actually comes, we are pretty over all the excitement in just a few minutes. It it can almost be a letdown. And that's sad that we feel that way. I think it's a little bit, we're kind of spoiled, aren't we? You know, but we get that way sometimes. And when we think about waiting, it's a difficult thing. And so as we think about waiting, I want us to think about what these, uh, these early uh, Hebrews believed when they were getting this message. They knew they were about to be taken over, taken into captivity, and it was going to be a long time of suffering because they had rebelled against God. And they were delivered this message. We shared it last week. <clears throat> Excuse me. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
And so last week, we focused on the wonderful counselor part. And if you haven't listened to that message, if you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and listen. Even if you were here, go back and listen again. You can listen to all our uh, messages on the audio. You can find them all places you find podcasts. You can watch it again on Facebook Live for those that you're watching here. Yeah, you can go back and watch it again. But go back and listen to it because what we talked about was the fact that many times we think our plans for our life are the perfect plan. And nine times out of ten, it ends up like the Hindenburg. You might remember history, the big, you know, airship that just exploded and burst into flames. That is usually the way most of our plans go when we're trying to run our life and make our decisions the best we think. It's just a huge, big dumpster fire nine times out of ten. And so we've got to trust that God is the wonderful counselor, strategist, planner. He knows the right way. So follow his plan rather than trying to fix things your own way. And so today we're carrying that thought a little bit deeper and um, we're, we're sort of hitting a similar idea and I don't want you to tune out. Here's why. Because most of us have known that last week's message in theory, but it doesn't always come out through our heart, through our hands, through our feet. We know what we ought to do, but we still don't do it. And so we need a reminder. We need to refocus ourselves. And so this week we're looking at the name or the part of the name Mighty God that was prophesied about Jesus so many years before his birth. Just as Jesus has the wisdom to know what to do, here's the kicker. He has the power to do it. That's important, isn't it? Think about it this way for a second, you know, to help you, you know, I, I like making things practical for me. I don't know if you are that way, but I like making things practical. Um, I know all about lifting, you know, uh, bench pressing 300 pounds. I, I know what you do. You lift it off the rack and you push it up off your chest. Can I do it? How dare you? How dare you? You don't know what I can do. That's right. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can let that bar fall on my neck and die in Christ's strength. <laughs> you know, Jesus would be like, you big dummy. You know you couldn't do that. <laughs> but that's the thing. I know about it. I understand it. I can, I can bench press less weight, but I, I, you know, there's a difference between knowing what to do and doing it. The good news is, the good news is this, is that Jesus knows the perfect plans and he can carry them out. You know, when it comes to every aspect of your life, of my life. And so this is really simple, but I, I want us to hear it. I want us to say it. I want us to know it. I want us to own it. Let him do it. Whatever that applies to right now, specifically in your life, let him do it. Now, don't get me wrong. I do not believe that God is going to always act on our behalf and never use us or get us or spur us on to do something. I don't believe that at all. But trust his timing, his plan, his way, let him do it. You know, the first idea, I've heard so many people, can I, can I be honest with y'all? I don't know, are y'all ready for this? Being in ministry and, you know, people, people think that you've got it all together. The answer is, I don't have it all together. But they will tell you things, and they'll come up, and they will tell you some of the most cockamamie things that they want to do with their life, and they say, I really think this is God's will. I'm like, I can probably think of 12 Bible verses that tell you it's not God's will right now. And I've been there, and I've done that too. I've been like, oh, this is God's will. No, it's not God's will necessarily. It's what I want to do. 
And most of us can get caught up in that really easily. So I encourage you to really filter what you think you want to do through God's word. Now, it will not always be crystal clear. I I understand that. I'm not trying to give you some kind of thing that you can never accomplish. But filter everything you do through God's will, through prayer, and through talking to godly people. Because hopefully you've got some godly people in your life that will tell you, I love you, but that's stupid. (laughs) We need that. Some of y'all are like, wow, this is really extreme. (laughs) But we need that. We need to be reminded. And so let him do it in your life, whatever it is. But very, very broadly, I want to say this as well. Let him save. Let him save. He's the one who can save. He knows the plan. He's already accomplished it. Let him save and then take it a step farther. You know, maybe you already have a relationship with Jesus. He's already saved you and you're already on that road to to salvation. You're growing, but let him lead. Maybe somebody else needs to hear that because it's one thing to have Jesus as savior, but a lot of us struggle with letting him be Lord. Let him save and let him lead. Let him lead every aspect of your life. Let him be the guiding force. And it falls all back. It it just sort of repeats what we've been talking about last week and carrying on some this week. I'll be the first to admit, though, it takes tremendous faith and patience to trust the timing of God, doesn't it? I mean, it really takes tremendous faith and patience. Think about it. It's always been that way. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm waiting for something, especially something I'm wanting God to do, and I'm really tempted to take over and do it myself, I can get this woe is me attitude of like, man, I just, I wish that we could add something to the scripture. Let's add my story to the scripture because I don't think anybody's ever suffered quite like me. Anybody else ever been guilty of thinking that? Yeah. Let's add Bobby chapter one, you know? You know, it's like Job and then Bobby. Wow, man, both people suffered. I could, not find, I could not find a parking space at Walmart yesterday. Man, it was rough. No, I mean, you know what? But we get that way, don't we? We think, man, my life, nobody's ever had it as bad as me. And so it's really tempting to just say, I'm going to go and do what I want to do. But it's always been that way. Think about this. This prophecy was made when they were getting ready to go into um, captivity. And, you know, there was probably some sort of fulfillment closer to the time. Uh, but ultimately, Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 9, this, this child that would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, all these different things, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But when he came, that little baby didn't look like Mighty God, did he? I mean, when he came as a baby, He was just as helpless as anything, just any other baby. He wasn't like super ripped baby Jesus. You know, he wasn't doing it. He wasn't pressing the manger. You know, he wasn't doing any of that. He was was a little baby. He came in a humble form. And so when the, the fulfillment came, you had to have really spiritual eyes and a really special mind to see, okay, this is the fulfillment of this promise. And so when he came, he didn't look like mighty God. And then as Jesus' ministry continued, there was a lot of Jewish people who were like, man, this guy can't be it. He can't be, even as an adult, he can't be this mighty God. He can't be this wonderful counselor because a lot of them, you know, he went against everything that they thought, everything that they had been uh, thought they had been taught, but it all became clear in time. It all became clear that he simply wasn't a great teacher. Ultimately, it became clear that he was the defeater of death. And that is the ultimate example of the mighty God, right? He can even defeat death. They killed him. And he got back up. He got back up. 
He left the tomb. He left the grave. And so Jesus is all-powerful in creation. You can see him in Genesis. You can see him in Genesis. And we're told in Colossians that all things were created by him and through him. He's, cre- he's all-powerful over nature. While he was here on this earth, he showed that another level, right? He would speak to the storm. He said, peace be still. And what happened? Peace, it was still. You know, he walked on water. You know, he, he literally walked on water. And he did so many things. He healed diseases. He raised dead people to life. You know, he did all these things. He was powerful over nature. And he was powerful over death in his resurrection. And that, my friends, is something that we have to understand is just mind-boggling. I, I hate that many times we get really comfortable with the resurrection and we think, oh, it's no big deal. Death is so final for us, but for God, it's just the blink of an eye. (laughs) Our God is powerful. He is the mighty God. But here's where I want to spend most of our time today. Because a lot of times we can understand platitudes or ideas about Jesus, about God, about the Holy Spirit, but we don't always put them into practice. And so I want to figure out what the mighty God means for us Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, it says this, and 20. It says, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Do you understand that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at our disposal through the Holy Spirit? If you are a baptized believer, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You have the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And I've asked this sort of question before because I wrestle with it. How come a lot of times when I look in the mirror, when you look in the mirror, I don't feel, I don't see this power? Why does my life not always look like it? So I want us to figure out how do we tap in to the mighty strength of God instead of just being a lot of talk? How do we make sure that what our lives look like is changing and is showing the power of God? The first idea is this. Strength comes from prayer. Womp womp. (laughs) I know how people think. I know how you think. You're like, oh, I wanted something a lot easier. Prayer is hard. Because you're like, dear God, thank you for the day. What, What time am I supposed to take my kid to the baseball game? And God, I, I just need help in my life right now. Do I need eggs or do I need bacon? Anybody else like that? Or better yet, try this one. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for my family. I've got you know, this great life. And it... Don't be acting all judgy like you ain't never done that. Liar! We all struggle with that. We, we struggle with focus in prayer, and, and it's hard to really pray the right way or, 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 or know what to say sometimes. And, and, you know, there's all sorts of issues we struggle with. But strength comes from prayer. Jesus is, was, is the Son of God, and while he was here on this earth, we have so many instances of him going off to a secret, quiet place to what? Pray. He is, he was God while he was on this earth as well. He was God, he is God, and he had to get away to pray. If he needs to do it, what do you think you and I need to do? Get away to pray. We need to make sure that it becomes such a part of our life. Prayer is often our last resort when it really should be our first priority as believers. 
We need to learn to pray about all things. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9 says this. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we're going to spend most of the rest of our time in Colossians 1. But that idea, Paul says, look, since we've heard about you, we've been praying, we've been praying, we've been praying, so that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Prayer needs to be a part of your schedule. And you might be thinking, because I was this way before, uh, you know, before I got to this mindset, I used to say, well, if I like literally put prayer on my schedule, I'll become like a Pharisee. I'll tell you what, I'd rather risk being like a Pharisee than never praying at all, which is what most of us end up doing. So let's try putting it on our schedule. If it's important, we put it on a schedule, right? And so let's put prayer on our schedule. Let's say, this is my time that I'm going to pray. Now, that doesn't have to be the only time, and we're getting to that. But get yourself started by saying, okay, this is a part of my schedule. I'm going to spend some time, a few moments of prayer time, just really trying to talk to God. So make sure it's a part of your schedule. And then the next layer is this. Make prayer just like a running conversation with God. You know, learn to talk to God all throughout your day. And a lot of you might do that already, you know. But talk to God all throughout your day about anything and everything. See, many times we get the idea, I don't know if you've ever thought this, and you don't have to raise your hand, but I want you to kind of think about it. Have you ever said, well, I don't really need to pray about that. That's not that important. God doesn't have time for that. You know, that's so wrong. God wants to hear about everything, everything that's going on in your heart and mind. Yes, he knows. Yes, he knows all things, but he wants to hear it from you. You know, there's some things that your children, that you pretty much know your children know or think, but you still like to hear it, don't you? You know, most of us think, you know, our kids love us, but, you know, we don't just like going around assuming that, do we? We like to hear it every now and then. And so God is the same way. He knows all things, but he wants to hear from you because a lot of times we get more out of prayer than, you know, just from praying, giving over to God than maybe even the answer sometimes from talking to God. But make your life a running conversation with God. Start talking to him about all things. Pray for the strength that you need because I am here to tell you that the enemy is coming after you. He is coming after you, and the person who gets caught off guard is the one who's not looking for the enemy. You know, So start praying for strength. Pray for strength. I know you might be thinking, oh, it's like praying for patience. You know, you, Everybody says don't pray for patience because you're going to get tested. But I'm telling you, you need strength. And the strength that you and I have on our own, it, like we talked about last week, if you were here and say, if you didn't hear the message, you got to go back and listen, you know, but it's like the three-year-old, you know, when you're trying to help your three-year-old get their clothes on they're like, no, me do it, you know, and they're putting their pants on the outside of their shorts and, you know, they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. They're putting their head through their armhole of their shirt, you know, and that's the way we are when we're trying to do things on our own strength. No, me do it, God. So pray about strength. Pray about your, your mindset and your heart and your spirit. Well, the next thing is this. The second thing is this. Strength grows with knowing the mighty God. And that may seem like a duh statement, but there's so much depth to that. Because knowing the mighty God does not come by accident or miracle. You know, a, a lot of times, you know, we say things like, I just wish that God would speak to me so I can know his will. 
Um, I don't know if you guys are into memes. I love memes. I think they're a love language, uh, if y'all know what a love language is. But memes and stuff are, are hilarious to me. There's this guy named Cobby who's on the internet, and he's this dude that always, basically his memes are always about, um, <clears throat> about things that people overcomplicate. You know, and he's always like, he's showing a simple way to do something, and people are always on the internet trying to be all showy, and he's like, you can do this a lot simple. Um, here's one that somebody made off of him. I wish God would just speak to me. That's how he always ends this. He's like, see, it's simple. You know, the Bible, most of us spend our lives, and I've heard so many people that are just kind of running around crazy, just frustrated and struggling. They're like, man, I just wish God would speak to me. I wish God would speak to me. I wish God would speak to me. And he has... He has word, literally, right? <laughs> he has spoken to us through his son, it says in Hebrews chapter 1. He has spoken. We've got all we need. We're told in Scripture we have all we need for life and godliness. You know, you might not know the answer to everything, but you've got what you need in God's word. He has spoken to you. So don't believe the lie that it will just happen by accident. You won't, you know, come to church every week or, you know, every, you know, whatever, how often you come, and then all of a sudden get hit with this lightning bolt where all of a sudden it's like, boom, I know God really well. And I have this great passion for him. It comes from getting into his word with his people. It doesn't happen by accident. He's given us what we need. You know, a lot of times we treat Bible knowledge um, like, you know, we treat Bible knowledge like it's something that is just going to happen to us by osmosis. You know, you sleep with your Bible under your pillow or something, it's going to soak into your head. But how much time are you spending in God's Word? How much time are you spending in God's Word? It has to become a priority if you want to grow. And that's a big if. Do you want to grow in Christ? Guess what you need to do with that? Just like prayer, you got to schedule it. If it's important to you, you're going to put it on your schedule. You say, I'm going to make some time. And, and let me say this. I say this a lot, but I want to say it again. You need to be accountable to somebody. Uh, last week, I challenged you. I don't know if we can get that up there from last week, but we put a QR code up uh, that is a link to our version page where, uh, you know, we have one for our church and you can select us as your home church and we put up reading plans up there. We got reading plans. We're starting a new one today. You can start fresh with us, the people that are already reading. But be accountable. Say, you know, you can comment on there and say, well, this stood out to me or I don't understand this. And you can comment along, but read the Bible every day, schedule it, be accountable, and then remember this principle. Quality before quantity. Quality before quantity. A lot of people get scared because the Bible's so big and expansive and they feel like, man, I've got to read, you know, 12 chapters of Psalms, including Psalm 119. One of y'all has read one night, Psalm 119. It's like 160 some verses. You know, and so you're like, oh my gosh, what do I do? And you get to the end of it and you've read all this stuff and you have no clue what you read. So I tell you, start with quality. I'd rather read one verse and spend a lot of time thinking about it than read 12 verses that I didn't pay any attention to. Now you can build up just like a muscle. You can build, build up to the point where reading more quantity is also quality. But start with quality over quantity and just make sure you get that muscle working of reading God's word, knowing what he says. But here's the next thing. Don't stop with knowledge. Don't stop with knowledge. Do something with it. A lot of us treat, as Bible readers, a lot of us treat, um, you know, like there's going to be some big written test. 
you know, and that we're going to have to give all the answers. And so, you know, we just got a lot of facts. And then sometimes we, you know, spend a lot of time in the Bible sort of acting like we think that maybe one day we'll get on Jeopardy and all the categories would be Bible. <laughs> you know, instead of once every six months, you know, they got the Bible category. Man, that's, you want to see something funny is watch when football comes up or Bible and everybody's like, <laughs> nobody, you know, nobody knows the answers. I've seen on, you know, sports and football and the Bible. It is in, it's crazy how people just don't know. So get into God's word. Make it a habit. Start with quality over quantity, but don't just stop with knowledge. What did the Apostle Paul say in verse 10 of, of Colossians? He says, so as to walk in a manny, manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. He said, my prayer is that you would get stronger and deeper in the mighty word of God, that you would become stronger in him, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. We don't just gain knowledge and wisdom in God's word so that we can just know stuff. So we can just know stuff. We do it so we can live it out. And so we fill up our minds and our hearts so we can live it out. He said, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him, bearing, um, bearing fruit. You know, are you bearing fruit? You know, you look at the fruit of the Spirit. Is your life showing love and joy and peace and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and all these things? Are you doing this sort of stuff? Are you shining light into people's lives? Are you living out the word of God? increasing in knowledge, it says, doing good works. Are you doing things that are helping people see Jesus through you? And increasing in knowledge is important. And so we got to focus on that. But the more that we practice our faith, the more that we love God and want to know him more. Now, I probably lost some of you already here, but here's what I want you to focus in. Sometimes when we're reading the Bible, we're like, man, I just don't understand. And we don't read a whole lot. The more that you go out and try to live your faith, the more you start to hunger for God's word and the more you start to fall in love with Jesus. Because I, I'll be honest, I know that a lot of us at different times in our lives or, or will struggle and will struggle with really loving God. We just are sort of, not, we don't hate him, but we're just sort of numb. And what I've seen more often than not in my life and I bet it's probably true of you, is that when you, if you're a believer, if you're feeling numb towards God, it's because you're not living out your faith. You're just taking in some knowledge. You're just going through the motions, going through the routines. And you're not trying to put those things that you read and study into practice. Because when you put those things into study, or that you study into practice, if you try to live them out, it's a shock to your system, Right? It is a shock to your system, and it, it's, it gets scary, it gets exciting, it gets all of the above, and so it drives you back to God's Word, and you start to see real fruit coming from your life, and you start to see real change, and you start to see other people be changed by what you're doing, and man, it fires you up, and it makes you and helps you fall in love with God all the more, and those emotions come back for God, but it only happens when you're trying to live out your faith. And it's scary in the process, but it helps you get deeper and closer to him and want to know him more. Simply memorizing facts doesn't create strong feelings in us. You know, it really doesn't. Think about, you know, relationships. You know, maybe back when you were dating or if you're dating now or something like that, you know, you had that special someone, you know, and you, you didn't just learn facts about them. Yeah, you learned stuff about them because you were trying to suck up to them and get them to like you. 
But that doesn't keep strong feelings for other people. What keeps strong feelings for other people is spending time with them. And I would tell you, I would challenge you, the way that we most spend time with Jesus is by living our lives like Jesus, going out and loving the least of these. And that's the way we get, connect to the heart of God in the greatest ways. We do it with our church family. We do it by ourselves. Keep living out your life in Christ, and you will fall more in love with him. Spend time with them, and that's how you do that. Here's a little test for you. Okay, think about this. I want you, in your mind, to name three good works you've done in the last month. Three things you've done to try to glorify God. If you struggle to name them, something's got to change in us. You know, I'm not saying you need to go around saying, oh, look how good I am. I'm doing this. I'm not telling you to go blast it to people. I'm just saying, can you think of anything that you've done that you would say, this is a good work I've done to try to glorify Jesus and, and help bear fruit and, and shed light and, and share light with people? Have I done anything? So what you need to do and what I need to do is we need to make a plan to do something intentional every day to serve God and serve other people. And the good news is, is that here at Movement Church, we've got a way for one day a week, you can do that. We'll let you serve and do anything. We would love to have you. And because we know it's good for you. Yes, we, we have roles we want you to fill because it helps other people, but we know how much good it does you when you serve, how much good it does me when I serve. And so find a way every day, and we can get you started easily on Sundays and really a whole lot more days. We can help you fill your days and be intentional about serving other people in Jesus' name. And then the last idea is this. True strength lasts. True strength lasts. So if we're going to connect to this mighty God and experience his power and live it out, we have to understand this last priority, this last point, this last idea is that true strength lasts. Strength over time is what really counts. Strength over time is what really counts. Verse 11 of Colossians chapter 1 says this, Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. You see, Paul's prayer was that they would not only be strong for a few moments, but that they would be strong forever until Jesus comes back. And that's the same prayer that he has for us. According to his glorious might with all endurance and patience and joy. You know, whether you're in a season of your life, whether it's a sprint or it's a marathon, guess what? In a sprint or a marathon, you still have to run all the race, right? To be qualified for the prize. It doesn't matter if this little moment of your life is a sprint, you got to run hard until the end. And if you're in a marathon stretch where it's long and it's hard and it's arduous, you got to run until the end if you want to be qualified for the prize. So we've got to keep running and, you know, it's so long ago that I probably shouldn't talk about it, but I did used to run marathons. I used to run distance. Um, and I learned a lot of lessons about, about life and about spirituality when I was doing that. And one of the things that has really stood out to me over time is, you know, you build strength from consistency. You build endurance from consistency. And so how many amazing people can you think of that were seemingly on fire for Jesus, passionate about Christ, and then they walked away? Probably every single one of us can think of people 
who just sort of turned their back on Jesus. They quit running the race. And I had to understand this. I've never seen somebody just walk away from Jesus overnight. You know that? You might, if you weren't really connected with them, you might feel like it was overnight, but I've never seen somebody just one day be in love with Jesus, the next day just be like, all right, I'm done. It happens little bit by little bit by little bit over time. Little by little, they stop serving, they stop bearing fruit, they stop serving others. And this is an idea we need to wrap our brains around. When we develop a pattern of walking in the Lord, bearing fruit and doing good works, we build enduring faith and strength. That's a mouthful, I know. But that's what we've got to do. When we build a, a pattern, develop a pattern of walking in the Lord, bearing fruit and doing good works, and we build enduring faith and strength. One of the things I learned from running distance, preparing for marathons, was this. Endurance doesn't happen from willpower. It really, you know, and most of us sort of think that way, don't we? It's like, you know, if I'm going to do something that takes endurance, whether it be my faith or whether it be some real physical thing in life, we say, well, I just want to, I want to dig, I want to try harder. Now, willpower is good. If you've got willpower, that's a good thing. But, you know, on something that's really intense and really drawn out, really stretched out, like running a marathon, 26.2 miles, I learned that endurance is not based on willpower. It is not based on willpower. It, it plays a part, don't get me wrong, but endurance comes from consistency over time. It comes from consistency over time. Even when you don't want to, you run. Even when you don't want to, you run. Marathoners don't want it more than everybody else, and that's why they go and run 26.2 miles. They run miles after mile after mile, week after week after week in preparation. So they get to the point where it's almost like muscle memory and their body just keeps on going. You know, when I was preparing for my marathons, I literally ran in rain, in sleet, and snow. Sounded like the mailman. I don't know if y'all remember that old saying about, you know, the mail carrier. You know, I ran in rain and sleet and snow. There were times, and I don't say this to brag or boast, but and I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I was not blazing any trails when I was running. I was like, my goal was to not die, it, you know, is cross the finish line and not die. So I'm not trying to build myself up. I'm just saying this is what it took. There was one time when it was cold, freezing rain in uh, November, in November, and it was just blowing, wind was blowing, and I was running on this old deserted road, and I was just... I wanted to quit so bad. It was a long training run right before the race. I think the most I would run was somewhere the last few, couple weeks was like 18 to 20 miles, 22 miles, something like that. And so I was running. I was about to quit. I, was, I wanted to die. It was cold. The rain was hitting me. The wind was blowing. And I almost quit, but instead I called Sherry. And we had just little kids at the time. And this great woman that I have gets in the car, throw, bundles the kids up, throws the kids in the car, and finds me on this old deserted dirt road and gets in the van, or she's in the van, and she drives in front of me and lets me run with my head down right behind the back window. I mean, that's love. That, that's love. I mean, real love was she'd got out and carried me, but she, you know, <laughs> she didn't do that. But... <laughs> But that was love. She, she, ran, she drove the car really slow. Uh, I knew a few times she was probably tempted to jam on the brakes and make me, you know, do that. But she didn't. She's too, she's too kind, too good. But I, I just ran. And I, I put my head down. I got my head below the back end of the van. And I just ran to keep the, a little bit of the wind off of me. And I finished my run. And I tell you that for a couple of reasons. 
It was consistency over time. I didn't just go out and run 18 miles that Saturday. I had been running you know, three miles and six miles and seven miles and nine miles and 12 miles. And, and I was building up and it was consistency over time. But I also want you to know that it happens when everybody jumps in and helps you. And you cannot do it alone. You cannot do it alone. Uh, at one of my marathons, uh, uh, there's a point for this. Trust me, trust me. At one of my marathons that I ran, I was out there and the family was like jumping in the van and they'd go out to a spot and they'd ah, wave and then they'd jump in the van and they'd go ahead and they'd jump out later on and they'd wave. Well, they lost me at some point, at the halfway point. And so for two hours, they were freaking out. They thought I died because we just kept missing each other. And uh, they were freaking out. And I'm telling you, a lot of fans are there for the half marathon. Not many fans there for the last half. You know, and so there was tons of people cheering on before, even if they didn't know me, they could read my name and they were like, yeah, Bobby, good, good job. And so that's nice. But that back half was quiet and it was lonesome. And when you were trying to do it alone, it's a whole lot easier to quit. And so if you want to endure, you've got to do it consistency over time and you have to do it together. And so I ask this to sort of wrap this up a little bit in our minds. What rhythms and habits and relationships are you building in your life to help you endure? To really tap into that mighty strength of God. What rhythms and habits and relationships, you know, uh, here's a few just to kind of get your, your creative juices flowing. The first one is very simple, but we got to do it. Bible reading and prayer. That's a rhythm you need to have in your life every single day. We've talked about scheduling it. Schedule it over and over and over. Number two, gathering with the church has got to be a non-negotiable for you. It's got to be. I, I want to encourage you it, to make it a non-negotiable. Think about it this way. Think about it this way. Most of us are living life tired, aren't we? Aren't we living life tired? I mean, that in, you know, you ask somebody, hey, how you doing? If they answer you rather than just repeat the question, good, how you doing? They'll say, I'm busy or I'm tired almost all the time, won't they? Isn't that what most of us say? Because we are living tired and busy. And, and so the, the idea a lot of times is, I'm so busy, I'm so tired. One of the first things that we can sort of skimp on sometimes is our relationship with God and our relationship with the church. But I want you to think about this analogy really quick. Imagine that your car is low on gas. It's really super low. And you tell yourself, I'm going to save gas so I'm not going to the gas station so I have enough gas to get to work. A couple of you got that. That's what it's like when we say, man, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm give out, I'm worn out, so I'm going to skip going to church so I can have enough left in the tank for this or that. That's exactly what it's like. And a lot of y'all aren't amen in that because you're like, yee. Because that's a struggle of us in the United States in our modern times is that we give up God before everything, and I'm not saying missing church, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying missing church is giving up on God, but you've got to refill and replenish your tank, and you don't get truly replenished by giving up time of fellowship with the church. You don't do it by giving up time fellowshipping with God, which I believe and I hope and pray is synonymous with the church. I hope and pray that your church is, our church and is connected to God, but we've got to make sure that it's a non-negotiable force. And then the third one is this. What relationships are you cultivating in the church? What relationships are you cultivating in the church? Do you have connection with somebody in your church family here? And if this isn't your church family, we would have loved to make it your church family. 
But what relationships are you cultivating so that people know when you're not here and they reach out and they care about you? What relationships are you cultivating so that you've got some more depth to what's going on with you here, that you're not just looking at the back of somebody's head for an hour, but you're really you know, meshing with and you're getting to know and they can encourage you and they can challenge you and they can pray for you and they can laugh with you and they can even, if you need it, shed a tear with you. What relationships are you cultivating with them as well? What relationships are you building? Because all these things together, when we really focus, when we start with prayer and when we build endurance and we do all these things and we do it together is how we gain the mighty strength of the mighty God. That's how we start to really see a change in our life. And instead of it just being words, it becomes some real action. And so we're going to go through our communion time here in just one second. Tyler's going to come and lead us in that. And I want you to think about what Jesus has done for you. This mighty God, he made the way through the cross. His body was broken. His blood was shed. And he did what you and I could not do. But let's do all we can to tap into his strength together as we share in this meal. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.